the night. Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. So, Will, we, we started talking before we started recording. It was like, no, 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 wait, we need to save this for our loyal listeners. So, what were we, what were we just talking about? So... I was in Atlanta this weekend with uh, with our very best Patreon backer, and we were taking in a comics convention. Not uh, not your not your Comic Con, not your your con where uh, you know you get you get a bunch of television and movie shit. No, this was a big sweaty room with a bunch of sweaty nerds and long box after long box after long box. And, and by the way, let me say. Uh, if you're going to have a booth at one of these type deals, please, for the love of God, organize your fucking comics. I am not going to stand there with 10,000 other sweaty nerds and just flip through a long box with the hope, the hope against hope upon finding the comic I need. So I was there with Abigail and I kind of just set out the idea of, okay, I'm going to buy the books we're going to read this week. And so I got a handful of those. And that's uh, that's going to be crucial for AdWatch. But I also got some uh, some very disgusting books in addition to those. So I'm going to take the, the AdWatch books and I'm going to set them aside. And then we're going to go over just the, the deplorable books that I got in addition to those. So, oh, dear. First... Uh, and, and you know what? Maybe these are not all bad. Maybe these are not all bad. We can't say for sure. Uh, Batman Two-Face Strikes Twice. And, uh, and let me say that I think it's kind of a tragedy that we are recording on 2-2-22 uh, and that uh, we don't have any uh, Two-Face content. So this will have to do. You know, I was going to say the same thing. uh harvey you're in our thoughts so yeah that's uh by mark barr and uh mike barr and Derek gross so i mean we know mike barr from son of the demon and uh fear for sale and newsday book so i remember that one being pretty fun it's been a long time Uh, but i remember that being fun oh weird it's uh it's it's a a thing i gotta like yeah, it's a flip book. Half of it is done in modern age style and half of it in silver age style and you flip. Huh. I'm, I'm just learning this because, again, bunch of sweaty nerds. I'm just grabbing stuff, just grabbing stuff. Um, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to put this on the agenda. This looks yeah. fun. I also have. Oh, oh by the way, um, just for the listeners out there, I am 90 percent digital comics i am i'm a heathen Uh, i know this hurts matt deeply but when i'm at when i'm out at a show like this i keep an eye towards stuff i just figure is not going to be available digitally and you know these seem like some grabs i also have batman man bat by jamie delano and john bolton and uh, i have no idea what the fuck this is that's I've I, I've read it a long long time. It's gonna be trippy because it's Delano, and I mean he's mostly a Vertigo writer. He's one of the the British expats. He did the original 
30 something issues of Hellblazer plus some Animal Man and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, but mostly is real weird. uh, It's apparently an Elseworld. So uh, whatever it is, uh, it is indeed weird. And then uh, the most disgraceful thing I have, a print run of Dark Knight Strikes Again. (laughs) Oh, Brother Will. I know. I know. It's it's shameful. Oh, man. This, uh, This copy... After 15 years, the long wait for the sequel to The Dark Knight Returns is over. God. Ah! That was only 15 years. For some reason, it feels like it was longer. And as I recall, there was about a year in between issues two and three. Ah, should have stayed dead. (laughs) Sometimes dead (laughs) is better. (laughs) What you put in the ground might what come back. Uh, yeah, so I saw all three issues for this, uh, this crap fest, and I'm like, well, might as well get them. They look more interesting than uh, some collected volume, so fuck it. Fuck it! Oh, we'll get there someday. The next See, time anyway, we do sequels. Uh, well, we, we have to get a, a threequel episode together, because goddammit, I want to read uh, Crimson Mist. We, we will we'll add that one to the, the agenda in the not-too-distant future, which I guess since we're booked out through early April when it comes to release and early March when it comes, mid-March when it comes to recording, we'll be a couple months down the line. The, the tragedy of Maddie Laser's exquisite planning. What a shame. Oh. You know, I mean, some of them are kind of can kind of move around. Our next couple episodes are fixed due to the you know stuff they're tying into. But we we got some we've got flexibility. I try to be flexible, but we do have books to talk about for tonight. Tonight we're looking at three stories by one of the most influential writers in Batman's long history, Grant Morrison. Now we've talked about some Morrison before. We've talked about Batman and Son, we've talked about uh, The Clown at Midnight, and we've talked about New World Order. This week, these are some oh-so-Morrisonian books. Oh, and Arkham Asylum! How did I forget Arkham Asylum? But this week, these are some fascinating and weird and wild comics. We're going to start off with the comic that is my first exposure to Morrison. This is Gothic, a romance, published in Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, numbers 6 through 10, written by Grant Morrison, pencils by Klaus Janssen, inks by Klaus Janssen, colors by Steve Buccoletto, letters by John Costanza, edited by Andy Helfer and Kevin Dooley. Cover dates are April to August of 1990. Okay, I say this pretty, pretty often, but I'm going to say this for this one and you've got to take this in for a second i read this as it was coming out i got legends of the dark knight one through six on the same day and then read the rest of these coming out i was born in october of 1980 meaning i was reading these i was nine years old nice nice this was transformative for me because this was I mean I was reading Batman and I was reading Detective too and those are you know superhero stories this story is a complete mind fuck I this read, shit is weird I read issue 6 
And then I read it immediately again. Then I got a notebook and read it a third time and took notes. I was annotating Morrison before people were annotating Morrison because I was trying to figure out this mystery and I was lost. But I loved every page of this completely insane story, which, oh, I didn't even give a synopsis. Before you go into the synopsis, let me let me derail this bit now for ad watch. Oh, yes. Because, you know, it's not it's not pertaining to anything else. It's just fun. Um, So I've got eight and nine and in in totally Maddie Lasers fashion. I think I have the rest of this packed away somewhere. But I ain't going to find it. So take your pick. What are we looking at for uh, Ad Watch? Eight or nine? Let's go with eight. That's got a eight. great ghostly burning nun cover. I love that cover. Uh, all right. Already. Back cover ad. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Ooh, nice. Man, that was, uh, that was a great show. Tales from the Dark Side. Creepy as fuck opening sequence. Oh, yeah. Do, 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 <laughs> These are tales not from the sunshine or the sunlight. All right. Inside cover, Dick Tracy. Vastly underrated film. I love Dick Tracy. You know, Warren Beatty had like the fucking rights to that for the longest time. Yeah. Weird. Like Warren Beatty, the man, not like his film production company or anything. <laughs> He's like, I want the rights to Dick Tracy. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, the adventures of Ford Fairlong. Ah, the dice man cometh. Oh, I'm I'm so disturbed. You actually know what this is. Uh, listen to the cast here in order of billing: Andrew Dice Clay, Wayne Newton, Priscilla Presley, Morris Day, Robert England, Ed O'Neill. So bizarre. I've never seen the film, but I am familiar with this mostly because this came up on a WMQ&A recording when, or an episode, I can't remember the episode, but Dan and I were talking about weird comic adaptations of films. And there was a comic adaptation of The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, either an adaptation or a prequel, prequel written by absolute disgusting monster of a human being gerard jones with design work by russell braun penciled by jose delbo and inked by don heck so the the artistic team is great uh for those of you out there unfamiliar gerard jones the batman stories the few batman stories written by gerard jones will be the only things we will not cover maybe not the only but uh gerard jones is currently in prison for possession of child pornography so, yeah, not going to be doing anything that he touched. Let's see. All new Miss Tree Quarterly. Right. Yeah. Max Allen Collins. Uh, Max Allen Collins, Ed Gorman, Denny O'Neill. Not a whole lot of ads in this. Hmm. And then yep. uh, a letters page. Yes. I mean, these are 25 issue, 25, 25 or 26 pages plus two pages of letters page. Because what's the cover price on that on this book? Buck fifty. Yeah, and this was back at dollar. Co- comics were a dollar at this point, so that extra fifty cents 
that means you're paying for a higher quality, higher paper quality, fewer ads. And does it have code approval? No, it does not. Yeah, I didn't think those early legends were code approved. Which uh, doesn't surprise me given the content of the story. Oh, oh yeah. And let's hear from Todd Velchek of Decatur, Illinois. Dear Andrew, I suppose Andrew... Helfer, the uh, Ah, editor. That would make sense. I was definitely impressed with issue number five. The story was, of course, great. The art and inking were superb, and the cover was captivating. With, quote, Batmania, end quote, still sweeping the nation, the timing of the new book was right on the money. I hope we can get to see more of Batman's past. Can we get a hint of storylines or artists to come? Please keep up the great work. I'll be watching and waiting. One final note. Uncle Elvis doesn't know what he's writing about. All the Bat books are extremely interesting. Uh, And then the response, the next sequence by Doug Minch and Paul Galassi will show another aspect of the beginning of the Dark Knight's career, including an old villain and special guest star. More information in the next two issues. Issue five that you're talking about there is the final part of the initial story arc shaman which we'll be covering next week so come back to hear if we agree that that was a good story or not (laughs) uncle elvis by the way was a legendary letter hack who's had letters published in comics for years and years and years and years and years as always matt a fount of knowledge uh thus concludes ad watch for batman gothic So for the synopsis here, mob murders, strange visions, and a man with no shadow. This darkly supernatural tale features Batman reckoning with a bit of his own dark history and Gotham's own. Yeah, uh, that does not do the level of weird in this particular Morrison story justice oh boy we had transgender sex workers we had child sexual abuse we had all sorts of just bad weird stuff violent murder debauched monks so much poetry so much and a real gothic aesthetic the the opening title page on each issue has this this filigree and it's this rose pattern and more poetry excerpts. This is an intricate story. And we'll see that probably with all, maybe not all three, but definitely the first two stories tonight. These are very intricate pieces with Morrison laying out all these bits that they're slowly building up over the course of the story into some kind of climactic ending. This, you know, it's sitting back and trying to talk about this story. It's not easy because it's so bizarre, even by Morrison standards. And it's not bizarre in that way that some of Morrison's stuff can be that's opaque, that the, the writing is scattered and weird This story is just a crazy, wild concept with Batman confronting a 
guy who made a Faustian bargain 300 years ago and the devil's getting ready to come and collect and he's trying to cheat the devil one last time or maybe not one last time but cheat the devil by sacrificing all of Gotham to the devil and this is a very serious straight at least straightforward in tone kind of book Except then we take a time out to have Batman imperiled by said villain in a Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah, it is, but that's exactly that's how I have the note on it. It's, it's, a, it's a really strange choice. I think this is still early enough. This is Morrison's second Batman story after Arkham Asylum. And I really feel like this was when Morrison wasn't sure if they'd be writing a lot more Batman. So it's like, hey, I've got a chance to write Batman. Let me do a Batman 66 death trap here because I've always wanted to do one of those. So let's do it. But the, the I mean, it literally is a Rube Goldberg machine. Like uh, the Batman 66 people, one would say uh, we don't have the budget for that shit. And two, this is way too complicated. Just just settle it down. Like put him in like a comic book press or a furnace or come on, come on, come on. This is way too complicated. You, you see it going and it's you know, Batman's life is in danger. But all I can hear in my head is as the, all the different things start start going off. It's weird. Is this the final curtains for the Caped Crusader? Tune in tomorrow to find out. Same bad time, same bad channel. Klaus Jansen draws the hell out of this, though. Oh, his- oh my God. The colors, sweet Lord. The art in this book is fantastic. It's perfectly in tone with what Morrison is doing here. It's dark it's gritty it's not 100 realistic but it's not so far outside of reality that it throws you each of the different flashbacks are done in a sepia tone as are the dream sequences that easily differentiate them from the stuff in the present but again isn't jarring no, and uh, even the cursed cursive lettering makes its return here, and I didn't, I didn't find that painful enough to complain about. Visually, this was a treat. Uh, I think tonally, this thing is a bit inconsistent in places. Ergo, Rube Goldberg machine. I think some of the content is a bit uh, cringy, cringy. Uh, but on the whole, this lives up to that Legends of the Dark Knight commitment to excellence there in the beginning of the run and this was this was a real fun read our villain mr whisper is creepy i mean he's a 300 year old debauched monk debauched and defrocked at this juncture monk who is he's willing to sacrifice an entire city so he doesn't die and go to hell And the book is littered with Morrison's knowledge of the supernatural and the history of the real world supernatural stuff. I did not have necessarily the time to research, but the idea of using a cord to measure your shadow, to imprison it, to hide it sounds at least sounds legitimate. The mystery or the history of this monk is definitely something I could see the use of a Pogesnacht 
the Night of the Witch's Sabbath, May Day works. It, it does hearken to Matthew Gregory Lewis's The Monk, published in 1796. It's a gothic romance about a defrocked monk that I had to read for a class on the Victorian Gothic back in the day. Not the Deep Victorian cut. Gothic. Deep the cut. The, the, the history of the Gothic novel, because that is not Victorian. Victorian does not start for a number of years. But still, it, that Morrison's the kind of person who would absolutely know that book. The, the practically British public school that Bruce goes to as a boarding school is a weird choice. Yeah, and I don't think the characterization of Batman was spot on throughout, especially in the first couple issues where, you know, the mobsters come to him with, uh, with this problem and he's like, I hope you all die. Yeah, no, Morrison's early Batman is very much in the Batman begins, I don't have, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you mindset. We saw it in Arkham Asylum, too, when the villain of the piece winds up being killed by one of the other doctors at Arkham, and Batman's people are like, yeah, he had it coming. He had it coming. He had it coming. For some reason, he that was in my head yesterday. To blame. I think I did the I did the same joke the last time that line came up. You know, my favorite thing, Matt, when I'm listening to uh, to the podcast, because I do that. Uh, I enjoy smelling my own farts. Uh, I like making the same joke before I make it on the recording. It's great. It's great. Well, you know your own mind so well. Uh, yes we do yes we do there's lots of foreshadowing in this book that morrison lays out early on bits and pieces about ring around the rosy which as mr whispers origin comes from the time of the black death and ring around the rosy is about the black death don giovanni uh if you're not familiar with Don Giovanni, the opera, the final scene of Don Giovanni has the devil coming to claim Don Giovanni and drag him down to hell. Ah. So Morrison's setting up the stakes right there in issue one, even if you aren't necessarily aware of it yet. And the uh, poetry left at the site of each murder, the rhyme of the ancient mariner, paradise lost, Don Giovanni, the first three and then the, the last two are Twelfth Night and Love for Love by William Congreve, which don't fit as well with some of those themes as the early ones. But still, it's a, an interesting note how, how deep Morrison is cutting in this book. I also got a, a kick that our, our killer it goes by over the course of the series, Mr. Winchester, Mr. Wicker and Mr. Whisper which made me think about Stephen King's The Man in Black and his RF initials and all of his different iterations. And the fact that in the end, Flag turns out to be a monk named Walter. And here he's a monk named Manfred. I wonder if this is another iteration of King's Ageless Stranger, or I'm just stretching. Makes sense to me. I love as various points where Whispers uses his immortality to just do ridiculous things. Like there's a great sequence where he's confronting one of these mobsters 
and the guy strafes him with bullets from like a Tommy gun. And that's right. He's just standing there riddled in bullet holes and just comes and he ruined his coat. And then the final scene is Batman, the final confrontation between Batman and Whisper. Whisper's getting hit by trains. Whisper's getting the shit kicked out of him and he just keeps coming. The content is uncomfortable in places. The, the British private school thing is uh, and the there's a real Freddy Krueger sort of vibe about when these mobsters quote unquote killed Whisper 20 years before well Freddy Krueger meets Rasputin anyway Uh, one thing I did not like about that story is that when Bruce is finally freed of this uh, oppressive boarding school he goes home and then that's the night they go to the movies. Yeah. Come I, on. Come I, on, Grant. You didn't have to do that. I don't want that night to necessarily be a special night. That the, the mundanity of that night and the, the mundanity, the fact that, you know, the, the story Bruce wanted his mom to wear the pearls because it's not a special night, but he wanted, you know, it's like, Wear the, the, the pearls that you wear on special nights because we're all going out for once. That's what makes it a special night that he's finally gotten a night out with his parents, not because it's part of some momentous occasion. Still better than that episode of Batman, the Brave and the Bold that we talked about on that Patreon uh, bonus episode, though. Uh, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, you're going to make me go to the movies. Fine. Fine. I didn't get the toy that I wanted. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, back us on Patreon to hear that, hear us discuss that. And Whisper's murder of these mobsters that tried to kill him 20 years before, that is brutal. Like, wow, is he ever just tearing these guys apart. Another thing Jansen draws the hell out of is the architecture, the cathedral and all of that. And, and Morrison's whole thing with spiritual alchemy is, is interesting, but boy, when Jansen draws that cathedral. It's gorgeous. And again, gothic. It is absolutely, and it's from the right period. It was built in 1790, which is the gothic period. I wonder why Gotham of all places? Why did, why did Manfred journey from England, I think, uh, to Gotham? I, you know, I could have a couple theories on that one based on other things that Morrison will later write and some other related Batman stories about the, the cursed nature of the city itself, that something about it might have attracted him. I'd have to go back and look at the exact dates, but this might be after the stuff from Dark Knight, Dark City with the demon under the city and stuff like that, which I know took place in the 1700s because Thomas Jefferson is involved. So it had to be in the the 1700s. We'll get to that. We'll get to Dark Knight, Dark City and the Demon Barber Toss and all of that. Something that As always, we'll get to everything. I'm looking at my notes and it's funny reading the notes, even though they're like, these are kind of scattered and weird because this story is all over the place. Another the the visual of the ghosts of the burning nun is another great, uh, incredible visual. One plot point I'll circle back to. So Manfred has to sacrifice uh, the souls and bodies of children 
And he does this from his position as the headmaster of this totally not British uh, school. In killing these children, it creates too much police attention and presence on the streets. So the mobsters are like, we got to find out who's doing this. Uh, Somehow they find our uh, creepy immortal monk, well, relatively immortal monk, Manfred. And uh, that's how they decide to, uh, to kill him. And that's where they go full Rasputin on his ass. Uh, and apparently he cannot die, but he can feel pain and he can hold a grudge. So when he resurfaces a generation later, he's like, I'm going to kill those mobsters. I can't blame him for wanting to kill these guys who put all manner of suffering on him. But at the same time, well, he had it coming. He, oh, he had it coming. He did. He only had himself to blame. It's funny. This story in itself is something of a Rube Goldberg device. All these coincidences, and it turns out it's not coincidence. It's the supernatural. But still, one little event ticks down, sets off something else, sets off something else. The story works like a Rube Goldberg device in some ways. Uh, and just thinking about the story, and there, there's this moment where, you know, Batman is strapped down waiting to die. And uh, he says, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <sighs> Morrison, I think, certainly recognized the absurdity of the situation. And ran with it. This is a story where I wish in some ways we could dedicate more time to any one story because there's so much to unpack here. But at the same time, we have to just we have to move on because we can't sit here and talk about this all the weird intricacies of this story because we have two more stories that are also filled with weird in- intricacies coming up tonight. But you Matt, know, it's your show. You can do whatever you want. I could, but I don't want to make this a four hour episode. We we start recording not at a an early hour. So we, we need to unless you have anything very specific to call out, uh, I think it might be time. That means it's time to put Batman Gothic on the big board. We are at a point where we have, you can say it, Will, 69 stories on our big list. Story number one is Batman Year One. Story number 15 is Batman Adventures Mad Love. Story number 30 is Fear for Sale from Detective Comics 571. Story 45 is Batman and Son, a previous Morrison, from Batman Volume 1, numbers 655 to 658. Story 60 is Robin the Boy Wonder, the first appearance of Dick Grayson from Detective Comics, number 38. And number 69 is Superman Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves. The (sighs) only time that book will ever make me smile. (laughs) This is it. This is the last night. Okay, Gothic. Where are... Do we have an opening bid here, Brother Will? Uh, I'm going to say top 25. Yes. Yes. So 25 is... Wait, well, tw- okay, here's a good. 24 is New World Order, a previous Morrison. I think this goes above New World Order. Yeah. And I'd put it above the, the immediately preceding book, Bloodstorm. Yeah. Uh, 
Cry for Blood is above that, the Huntress miniseries. I could I could probably see this going above that. I mean, that's a good story, but the, the, the crazy intricacies of this piece are fascinating to me. I th- my personal ceiling, I think, is 19 at Blink. Blink was real good. Blink was real good, and Blink was... Blink was able to maintain a mystery while being a lot more straightforward than this. Yes. I think, I think right below Blink and thus putting it right above Identity Crisis, and not that one, and making this our <laughs> new number 20 is a good spot for gothic romance. Perfect. Okay. Next up is The Club of Heroes. From Batman Volume 1, numbers 667 to 669. Written by Grant Morrison, with art by J.H. Williams III, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Ken Lopez, John J. Hill, and Rob Lee, edited by Mike Martz and Peter Tomasi and Janine Schaefer. Cover dates are August to October of 2007. Summoned to an island by an old benefactor, Batman meets the Club of Heroes, an international team of Batman-inspired heroes that he had teamed up with once many years before. As the Club of Heroes begin to be murdered, Batman is drawn into a battle between good and evil, sponsored by the mysterious Black Glove. One slight correction in the cover dates, August to November. And I say that only because I'm looking at all three of the covers in my hands. Really? So yeah. is it August, September, November? Yep. Huh. The DC wiki was incorrect. Good oh, to know. Oh, burn on you, motherfuckers. I'm going to have to go in and correct that. <laughs> uh, so let's start with AdWatch as you are yes. holding issues. Yes. Which one you want? Let's go with the first one. Let's go with 667. Ah, that would be the one that's bagged and boarded. You got to open it up. Of course. All right. Back cover. Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, Anniversary, The Legend Returns for PlayStation. Games for Windows. Inside cover. Nicolas Cage and Eva Mendez in Ghost Rider. Wow. Marvel ad. Interesting. On DVD, Blu-ray disc, and PSP. I guess the whoever was producing that, you know, their money spends as well as anybody. Kyle XY, ABC Family Television, original series. Uh, Let's see, a half-page ad for Green Lantern. Wanted Hal Jordan from uh, Joff Johns. Collection of Godzilla movies. Ballpark ad, The Hot Dogs. MyHunger.com. Hunger gets what hunger wants. Uh, Justice League of America ad, Green Arrow and Black Canary wedding special. The countdown continues. Countdown to adventure. Oh, right. We're in the countdown era. Fortunately, I don't believe there's enough Batman content in countdown for us to have to cover countdown. Thank God. Oh, I tell you. We're in a strange era in comicsology with these books in that the digital reproductions are just really not great. For Gothic, they were 
literally just scans of the book. Like there were no digital files to work from. And looking at this in, uh, in physical for the first time, they really butchered some, uh, some full page spread or some two page spreads. Uh, kind of unfortunate. Uh, Suicide Squad by John Ostrander. Eight issue limited series. Oh, that was a good series. I mean, we'll, we'll cover some Ostrander on here. Ostrander hasn't done a ton of Batman, but I'm a big, big Ostrander fan. Justice Society of America, The Next Age, also by Johns and artist Dale Eaglesham. 52 Aftermath, Booster Gold, also by Johns. Well, he was DC's big horse at that point. And to uh, to bookend the uh, the Marvel content, Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer, the video game. <laughs> See the movie, play the game, June fifteenth for Wii, Nintendo DS, Xbox three hundred and sixty, and PlayStation three. Thus concludes Ad Watch. Now on to Comic Watch. <laughs> <laughs> this- the rest of the show. Of the three stories tonight, this one's probably the most straightforward. I don't know. I I have thoughts. We'll get into that. Okay. Next, we're going to double back at some point and do the three intervening issues. But this is the second larger arc of Morrison's Batman run. There's Batman and Son from 658. Then there's a four-issue fill-in arc. Then there's Clown at Midnight, which is a one-off, then a two-parter, then another one-off, and then this. So this is the next larger arc. I mean, I guess we'll, we'll say at the beginning, because Lord knows you said it before, J.H. Williams III is just fire. Not at, I think, his full powers quite yet. I mean, this is not his work in, say, Batwoman, but some good layouts in here some good stuff visually i'm getting a vibe that you have some issues with this story uh, the story yeah i don't know how many times i read the first issue just to try to get a sense of what the fuck is going on but when batman and robin can barely be bothered to care about a bunch of weirdos and misfits i certainly can't be bothered to care and when these misfits and weirdos start to just drop off i'm like i i I can't be emotionally invested in this story like i don't i don't care if the batman of argentina or the gladiator batman or i i don't care if these losers die i don't maybe want them to die but i'm also not really broken up when they do die and I don't really care a whole lot about the big super surprise twist at the end. It's, this was a very frustrating and just tedious story to get through. See, this is an Agatha Christie. This is literally, and then there were none. This is a bunch of random people get called to a random island and they're slowly being bumped off one by one. This is also important for the foundation of what Morrison's going to be doing throughout this run, as this is the first appearance of the Black Glove. And the Black Glove is the major force throughout Morrison's run on 
Batman through 683 or whenever that the the rest of this run they're they're behind a lot of this stuff so this is establishing a bunch of the things that are important for later i love those pages that have the the hand paneling built into it that's a williams visual oh absolutely Cyril, the knight, and the squire are characters. This iteration of knight and squire are characters that Morrison introduced back in an arc on JLA Classified, the Legends of the Dark Knight type anthology for Justice League stories. In the first arc on that book, issues one to three, Morrison created this knight and squire. And they, they reference it when one of the other, I think it's, Whichever one is the real asshole. Wingman. When Wingman makes some snide comment about him getting mind controlled by a, a monkey. It's like, yeah, that monkey was Gorilla Grodd. Uh, a <laughs> lot of superheroes get their minds controlled by Gorilla Grodd. Not going to hold that one against the knight. Wingman would be an asshole. Oh, yeah. And th- th- these are the characters that are all members of Batman Incorporated. When Morrison creates Batman Incorporated, they'll all show up again. Come Batman Inc. Or most of them will. The ones that the don't ones die. The ones that aren't dead. Yeah. There are some new versions. Some of them get a new. There's a new uh, Wingman. There's a new Dark Ranger uh, in those books. I will say Morrison does not get Tim Drake's voice, particularly right here. Tim is a much bigger kind of condescending ass in this story than he is in pretty much anything else I've ever read him in. There's a little too much of Damien's snideness to the way Tim talks about the members of the Club of Heroes. Let's reserve all talk of Damien for the next story, please. <laughs> okay, we'll get there. Uh, we will. Get I mean, there. I would prefer not to, but let's let's just hold off on that. You mentioned it with colors. The colors and the, the way the page layouts for the flashbacks in this, making them the color of you know, weathered paper because they're very silver agey, is a really nice touch. Oh, as were the Bendai dots. Like, that was good. I, I think I'm hotter on this story than you are. I, I just, oh, the art. What was the first Williams you read? Was it Batwoman? Your first experience with Williams? It had to have been. I've been reading, you know, I discovered him with Chase, which is his first major DC work. And I followed him through Chase, through this, through all the other intervening things. So, so much of this is stuck in my head as just incredible and compared to the stuff around it. And that's, this is not a slam on Andy Kubert or Tony Daniel, who are doing the art on these other Morrison arcs. They're very good artists. But J.H. Williams is a, a, a thing of his own. This is Morrison also channeling a lot of Silver Age. There's a lot of, you know, the, the death trap that Tim and uh, the squire, the, the sidekick to the knight, have to do to protect Raven Red, the sidekick of Man of Bats, the Native American Batman is a very Silver Age moment. I will say, cringy, uh, the fact that it seems like Native American Batman Man of Bats has a drinking problem. 
is a, a fairly uncomfortable Ooh. stereotype. They don't make a big deal out of it, but there is some line that the son has about, you know how you get when you drink. It's like, oh, really? Uh, I did not. I did not pick up on that. But yeah, that is, that is not good. Yeah, it wasn't. A, it was not a great moment. The the murders throughout here are interesting. I mean, it's, it's all setting up the different nemeses of all of the club of heroes who all will be are all Morrison creations and will all be back by the end of their run on Batman. The, the black glove with the advantage, good advantage, evil, the posing good against evil is the black glove shtick. And you'll also note at the beginning, there's a roulette wheel. And as I think I mentioned when we did Clown at Midnight, the motif of black and red is something that runs throughout this initial Morrison run on Batman. Did you notice it seemed like Batman and Robin were drawn slightly differently or that the club of heroes characters were drawn bolder and sort of super saturated and colored brighter than Batman and Robin and even Knight and Squire were. It seemed like there was Williams was doing something and that might've been the transfer because I read this on infinite, not in the original books but it seemed like i remember i noted it in part one where it just seemed like they were done slightly more stylized than batman and batman and that that's also could be the colors that could be dave stewart not necessarily something that williams was doing i'm looking through 669 now i don't notice a change uh, or a difference between those characters, but there certainly could be. It might have just been the digital transfer too. I, I've there are plenty of times where you see something in a book that was not created to be released digitally. When you see it digitally, it doesn't transfer terribly well. Oh, this looks so much better in print. It, it's I need to again. I would need to dig out my copies, but I bet it does. The, the ending is not the most unexpected twist that the person behind the murders is, you know, we're, screw it. Again, this <laughs> is a, how many year old comic we're going to we're going to mention the, the, the twist at the end that John Mayhew, the mysterious benefactor of the Club of Heroes, who was murdered, quote unquote, at the beginning is in fact the murderer and working as an agent of the black glove because he got mad that he what what did he get mad about again that batman didn't take the club of heroes seriously and if he had it would have been a big thing and mayhew would have been famous and applauded for creating it and it just fell apart because batman didn't take it seriously and wouldn't take part club of heroes by the way is an actual silver age thing there was a Silver Age story with the Club of Heroes. All of these characters weren't Morrison creations. They were all part of that story, or most of them were part of that story. And, and when you know, it at least gets a mention in our next story. Yes. 
Knight and Squire, the Musketeer, the Gaucho, the Ranger, and the Legionary were all part of the Club of Heroes. It only appeared three times, it seems, before this story. Four, if you count Knight and Squire popping up in a couple stories in Morrison's JLA. But they were called the, the Batman of all nations in those stories, not the Club of Heroes. That's what Morrison renamed them. And of course, Knight and Squire recently appeared in Batman the Detective. Yes. They'll show up prominently in Batman Inc. Morrison seems to be a big fan of those characters. They clearly like them because they have given them, they give them far more personality than the rest of these one note characters. Again, they'll get more personality when they mostly each get a focal issue of Batman Inc. But generally, they're here, they are pretty one note. But, but you do have the one that is uh, a dead ringer for the Cavalier. Yes. And I had to keep correcting my notes, writing the Musketeer, not the Cavalier, because I wrote the Cavalier at least twice. <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on. They were, it was a dead ringer. And if you look at the, the Silver Age appearance, like, wow, he even looked like the Cavalier back then. That isn't bad reference that somebody gave to Williams. He always looked pretty much just like the, the Cavalier. Do you, I don't think I have much more to say on this one. And I don't have anything. So that means it's time to put Club of Heroes on the big board. Uh, okay. Well, it's it's not above gothic it's it's below gothic oh oh yeah oh yeah aside from being gorgeous i mean it's gonna get points for gorgeous i i do not have i don't i do not like having to read an issue more than once to understand what the hell is going on and i certainly again do not have any warm feelings for these uh for these weirdos i am not high on this book at all how much Morrison have you read in general? Uh, I have read the Morrison that you have made me read for this show. Uh, and let me say, I am not spitting with them. I was going to say, this This is going to be a place where, and I mean, this might be a case of reading Grant Morrison, and bear with me on this analogy, is like reading Shakespeare. When you've read a lot of it, you know their quirks you know how they write and so it becomes a mindset that you get into when you start reading it you can pick up the rhythms and understand what what's going on yeah i can i can see that because and i say this as someone who is a shakespearean even then when i start reading a, a shakespeare play it takes me a first you know scene or so but then i fall into the rhythms i'm much more used to morrison's rhythms than you are so it seems so their stuff works probably a little better for me than it does for you okay but you know we'll be reading more morrison and maybe we'll see as we progress if their stuff works better for you as we go along so my opening bid okay is uh is above 55 the grim knight well it's it's definitely above the grim knight i mean i i I gotta put it higher than that i mean i think I don't think it's better than our Batman and Son, the Morrison we have up at 46, the first Damien. 
because that's that's big and that's bonkers and that's a lot of fun. Okay. It's somewhere in between 55 and 46. All right. We are we are on the same page of of reasonableness. I can I could negotiate in here. I'd say above 53. Yes. Bouncing so, baby boy. Above where does it stand versus Son of the Demon? Son of the Demon has a lot of good stuff. It's also weirdly, it's got some weirdly dated 80s stuff in there. Not weirdly, just some dated 80s stuff in there. Uh, a comic as produced by the 1980s version of Michael Bay. Yes. I would be inclined to probably go below because that was fun and this was in no way fun at all, ever. But, you know, I I go along to get along, Matt. No, I, I mean, I, I would put it either ab- right above or right below Son of the Demon. So I'd be willing to go below Son of the Demon on this one. I think that's a fair negotiated location for the Club of yeah. Heroes. All right. Now the new number 52. And our final story of the night, Batman Reborn. Batman and Robin, Volume 1, Numbers 1 to 3. Written by Grant Morrison. Art by Frank Quitely. Colors by Alex Sinclair. Letters by Paul Brosseau. Edited by Mike March and Janelle Eslin. Cover dates August to October of 2009. The inaugural outing of Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne as the new Batman and Robin sees them confronting a new threat to Gotham City. Professor Pig and his Circus of Strange. Some good old dick bat. This is the opening arc of the second phase of Morrison's Batman plan. This is Dick Grayson after Bruce, quote unquote, died in Final Crisis. This is Morrison working with one of their regular collaborators, Frank Quitely. This, well, not the first appearance of Professor Pig, Pig cameoed in Batman 666. This is the first major appearance of Pig. And he remains a super weird and super creepy villain. To put it lightly. Yeah. This story of the three tonight, this is the one that I feel has the most problems story structure wise. Because you get a big info dump at the end of this. I had forgotten how much of an info dump you get at the end of this story explaining what pig is really up to. Like, oh, it involves Russian human traffickers and mind control drugs and this and mind control disease and this, and that, and the other thing. It's like, I didn't really get any of that in the story. Oh, and he was a failed circus guy. Yeah. It's a lot of information that wasn't presented in the story itself. The story is mostly a character piece about Dick taking on the mantle of the bat and Damien bridling against Dick being Batman. Oh, oh, wait, wait. So you say the defining character trait of Damien Wayne in this story is that he is an insufferable asshole? Yes. Huh, that's really weird. And and I, I I thought that just being an asshole 
was not really a caricature or a character trait, but I guess for Damian Wayne, it is. Huh. Strange. This series is where you start seeing Damien evolve. How far he's evolved, your mileage may vary, but he'd only appeared in a few issues in between the end of Batman and Son and this. And Morrison is still giving him something other than being a complete asshole which is pretty much what he is throughout this story. You're not the real Batman. Yeah. Shit. He's a a complete jerk. But what we see here is Dick trying to reach out to him. And we see Dick failing because Dick initially is too soft. And then he tries to be Bruce. And that Dick Grayson is many, many things. Bruce is not one of them. We'll eventually see Damien respect Dick, but that's that's the the story of Batman and Robin is Dick and Damien growing together as a team. And he's not here now. I'm going to be honest with you, Matt. I don't think I want to read and find out. I, I really don't. Unfortunately, as you have pointed out, we have to read everything. Ah, shit. But there's some uh, there, there's some really cool stuff and some great art in some of these upcoming stories. There's a, a, some Fraser Irving. Oh, I can't remember who did Cole's The New Castle. I think it was Cameron Stewart, unfortunately. Oh, it was Cameron Stewart. Okay. I was right. They, that's another Knight and Squire. Knight and Squire show up there, as does uh, Batwoman. That's some early Batwoman as part of the family stuff in there a lot of this is dick coming to terms with being batman there's a lot of talk between him and alfred and morrison continues to write a really good alfred oh yeah and and let me just state here for the record i forget where this came up in uh oh no i know where this came up now i just had to think about it for a second I don't think I mentioned this in our bonus episode on uh, Batman, the audio adventures, but uh, I don't like it when we call him Alfie. I just, that just, that hits me at at the wrong spot. And we had that here, but I'm okay with it because everything else regarding Alfred was just so good. And, you know, Alfred makes this, this point where, you know, you can't, you can't be, you know, Bruce, you can't be Bruce's Batman. You got to be your Batman. And like, you know, that's a good positive note that makes sense in the context of the story. View it as a performance that plays to Dick. Dick, who is bolder than Bruce. Dick, who is big. Dick talks about how he got, you know, he didn't like the cape, how he got rid of the cape when he became Nightwing. I would have liked him to take a slightly different take on Batman's suit for when Dick was Batman. More different than what they did. Well, that would, I think, draw more attention to the fact that this is not Bruce. And I don't know if you want to do that in that world. Mm, But in principle, I agree with you. True, but I mean, the drawing the attention to the fact that he's, what, half a head shorter and (laughs) 40 pounds lighter? 
That's what lifts in your boots are for. <laughs> I mean, I think it was in uh, one of our top stories in cold days when Dick shows up in Bruce's place, Gordon, oh, it's you, the other one. Gordon immediately recognizes <laughs> that it's Dick and not Bruce in that story. Because Jim Gordon is not a moron. We've, we've talked about it for both the other three, but again, the art here, Morrison knows how to pick an artist. Oh, absolutely. I think of all of these three, quite these work is my favorite. And the, my favorite page is in the first issue. And I, I love it when artists give you a sense of this is where the story is taking place. It's almost like a diagram. Page 12 of the digital copy, you get this, the splash of the penthouse and then four insets just showing where all of the action is taking place. So it's Alfred cooking in the penthouse and then bringing it down through the tower and meeting in in one layer of the of the the, the subterranean uh, what, what are they calling it at this point it's not the bat cave right the bunker something the bunker something. yeah it's it's one layer of the bunker and then descending to like the deepest layer of the bunker like the garage layer like it's just a, a great sense of spatial relationships and action and story and it's the artist telling part of the story like this is not even necessarily a page where you needed any dialogue and it would still work. Uh, you know, Alfred's day, you know, in the, in the penthouse. And I just, I, again, I just really, really enjoyed the layout and Quietly's work, you know, where the layout is more traditional is still just as good. I just, I really, really enjoyed the, the visuals here probably tops out of all three books. And that's, when we were talking Klaus Janssen and J.H. Williams, that's tough. Oh, yeah. There's a stunning splash of Dick and Damien gl using gliding capes to glide out of their flying Batmobile down onto the roof of police headquarters. That's just, it's poster. It's poster quality. It's, it's I think, either the last, towards the end of part one or the very beginning of part two. End of part one. Just a couple of pages after that one. Yep. And on the other end of the spectrum from stunning to completely it's going to give me nightmares for a very long time the professor pig talking to damien in part three while doing his best flash dance is so nightmare inducing wow i never needed to see professor pig dancing like that ever i've forgotten that or repressed it possibly think for yourself matt i need more dancing professor pig i mean he is such a bizarre villain i mean the the whole weird pygmalion shtick the the dolotrons and the pig will make you perfect is He's a Batman villain. If Morrison has one bit that they created that will remain a major part of the Batman canon, aside from Damien, it's Professor Pig because he's fucked up. I think it's kind of equal parts Mad Hatter and Leatherface. That is a very good analogy. 
and Morrison knows their continuity. There are a couple of little nods. One reference to uh, Dick talking about knowing one of the Gotham cops from back when he was a, a cop in Bloodhaven. Although that had to have a moment, Will, that, that I read the line. And it's like, oh, that line's going to bug Will. Dick addressing one of the cops as a bull, which is a very UK phrase. You know, that didn't bother me. Oh, it okay. really didn't. The, uh, I, 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 I did notice that. I appreciated the continuity, but that didn't strike me as totally un-American. Uh, also, Jim com- saying, making some comment about letting the, the fairgrounds burn to the ground because I'm, they don't say it, but I got to imagine that there aren't that many abandoned carnival amusement parks. So I've got to think that might be on the same grounds that the Killing Joke took place. So I got to think Jim would be like, ah, boys, just stay back for a little while. Just, just let this one go. Another great bit, and I'm, this has to be quite Lee. In the end, the final pages, when one of the Dollatrons, the young women that were, had been converted into Professor Pig's quote unquote perfect dolls, Sasha, is escaping the prison, there's gunshots, and the bangs of the gunshot are worked in as part of blood splatter. It's a really interesting use of a sound effect that's part of the art. It, it's a near a di- it's almost diegetic to what's what's going on. I'm not sure if I'm, I mean I know what the word means. I'm not sure if it's necessarily the proper phrase. What issue is that in? It's at the end of three. It's the very end of the the story. As Sasha's escaping, when Red Hood shoots the people who are trying to stop her from escaping the blood splatter from them is bang Uh, oh oh that yeah that is the very end and that's subtle yeah wow i don't think i would have even noticed that i I, I sure i didn't notice that in the first read wow i I specifically picked it up because in this week's the episode of wmq a that dan and i just recorded the artist there commented on quietly's use of sound effects like that in the they mentioned his use of sound effects in batman and robin so i looked at them more closely and i was like oh that's neat also something that again will you're not gonna get the benefit of because you're reading this stuff somewhat out of order the final sequence there with batman and robin confronting la Bousseau as they crash down through the window or to, through against the moon that is the very beginning of Batman R.I.P., the big climax of Morrison's initial Batman, begins with a caption that says six months later and has a Batman and Robin somewhat in shadows standing over La Bosseau saying, Bat- it, saying Batman and Robin will never die. And it's, th- it's this, the, 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 that beginning flashback drops at the end of this story so it brings it full circle Uh again morrison they know what they're doing when it comes to build playing the long game the dominoes that we see in this are part of the long game we'll discuss it when we do that next story but what do you think of that that red hood costume at the end of this story it's very different than what we're used to seeing jason in the 
t-shirt is a bit weird. At least I think that's a t-shirt, but um, I don't mind the the cape so much. Will you read that story? Because this is a story where Jason pretty much fully breaks bad. And it was Morrison having him reach rock bottom so he could climb his way out further on in their run. But then the new 52 happened and wah, 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 wah. I mean, Morrison got to wrap up this, the, the plots they were working on in the second volume of Batman Inc. But since nothing else was happening in continuity with that, it was just sort of weird and felt like an afterthought during the new 52, which is a shame. And I mean, they did do that, that death of Damian Wayne stuff that spread out through the books for a bit. Uh, Feels like Morrison's sort of ethos wouldn't necessarily mesh with the new 52. It in did terms not. of simplifying and being more, I don't know, pop consumable sort of thing. It doesn't exactly seem to be Morrison's vibe. Especially the Morrison of Batman that was reveling in 70 plus years of continuity, all of which happened and all of which could be mine. The New 52 is very much not about that. Very much not. But that's why you see so many bits in the Morrison run. The Club of Heroes, Zoran R, Batmite, all these little things that are continuity. Also, there's one moment in here that absolutely, to me, shows the difference between Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne as Batman. And it's in part one. We referenced this in, I think, last week's episode, where you'll see Batman dangle a guy off of a roof. Here, Dick absolutely has one of these. uh, He has Mr. Toad, one of the Circus of Strange. And it sure seems like he's dangling him off the top of a roof. But then it turns out, no, no, he's dangling like five feet off the ground and he's just blindfolded. So he just thinks he's dangling him off the top of a roof. And that's the difference. It's not that Dick doesn't have the balls to do that kind of thing, because Dick would if he need to. I mean, he screws around with Phosphorus Rex pretty bad. But Bruce's go-to is intimidate the hell out of this guy. Dick is more than willing to just perform. Uh, reminds me of the scene in the Thomas Jane Punisher where uh, he's got a guy strung up and he's making him think that he's being burned horribly, but it's all uh, sizzling steak and popsicles. Thomas Jane's The Punisher, underrated film. I have to go back and rewatch. It's been a while. It's been quite a while since I saw that one. It's got John Travolta, Kevin Nash, Thomas Jane. I have a soft spot for uh, Punisher Warzone. I think that's a batshit crazy movie, but fun. Indeed. Uh, other than Pig, the rest of the Circus of Strange are pretty generic, and I honestly don't think most of them really pop up much after this. They're really not as notable as Pig himself is. And giving him these weird sidekicks, he doesn't need the weird sidekicks he's just perfectly creepy on his own i will say a moment that may be literally lol when toad croaks that was good that was good so uh do you have anything else on this one i don't have anything else so that means it's time to put batman and robin on the big board 
All right. So where are we? Are we in between our first two? Are we? We're not above Gothic. No. So it's are we in between them or are we below Club of Heroes? Oh, we're definitely not below Club of Heroes. No, sir. Yeah. I uh, so that gives us a gives us a range of twenty one to fifty one. Um, I think somewhere late. 20s into the 30s is yeah. probably where I feel with this. I can definitely go with that. The Quietly Art, the Dick Grayson, the the Alfred. The Alfred, underline, yes. So you're saying late 20s, early 30s? Okay, let me throw one out here. New number 28. So I like what, it. I like right. it. I, I know you have a soft spot for Thrill Killer for Breton and Half an Evil below that is good. And it, it would be nice to give one more mention to Two Face on 2222. Uh, Absolutely. Skidoo. I, I think this is still stronger than Half an Evil, but I think this this safely goes in as our new number 28. I love it. Okay. That wraps it up for this week. Next week, a Dick Grayson level Patreon backer, Joshua Wheel, stopping by. Uh, for an episode he requested. Three stories involving Bruce Wayne's travels and training to become Batman. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grove, June is Dead, Long Live June, Joshua Wheel, Zach Rabaroff, Abigail Hartbaum, and, and Asimov Fangirl for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter, at Batchat Comics, and the, com- and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and ComicsXF.com. And uh, back the damn Patreon so you too could possibly come on the show. Yep. You can not only come on the show, you get shout outs, bonus content, and just pick a story, even if you don't want to come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLast1013. And I'm at Will Nevin, and I'm out of here. Good night, Miami. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of New Bat Books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.